0: I would have liked to come into the grocery some morning and see them all, lying there, crying with the pain of dying. I would help myself to groceries, I thought, stepping over their bodies, taking whatever I fancied from the shelves. I was never sorry when I had thoughts like this. I only wished they would come true. Shirley Jackson. We have always lived in the castle. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie.
1: And I'm your other host, Rachel. Today we are talking about children, specifically creepy children. Sure, you may think they're all cute and innocent, but don't be deceived by their adorable outfits. If horror books are to be believed, they may actually be demon spawn. That's right. We're talking creepy children on this episode of Books in the Freezer. So as someone who enjoys stories with creepy children, I was really excited. But at the same time, I was actually kind of nervous because I was worried to spend an hour gushing about my love of creepy children. And I was so afraid I was going to offend someone. So I'm going to start by going on record by saying, no, I do not think your children are creepy. I love kids. I don't have any myself yet. But... I definitely think they're properly adorable. So, Stephanie, as the mother in this conversation, I need you to keep me in check so that when I'm <laughs> gushing about children, I don't say something that might come out the wrong way. So maybe I should start by asking you, do you think creepy children's stories can be offensive? And if so, do you feel differently about reading them now that you're a mother? It definitely strikes a different chord. Before I had kids, I wouldn't have thought twice
0: about picking up something like we need to talk about Kevin. But since becoming a mom, I've definitely become more hesitant to pick things up where children are either harmed or the perpetrators themselves. And I would say the only times I get kind of annoyed are when people point to stuff like that and they're like, and that's why I don't have kids. I mean, that to me is like the equivalent of reading Cujo and being like, well, all dogs are evil. You know, it's just kind of like, okay. (laughs)
1: And would you say that creepy children's stories resonate differently or more with parents or maybe more with childless people?
0: I think it's difficult to say because both groups of people will pick them up for different reasons and get different things out of it, I think. So, a lot of my friends who are happily child free love these stories because, you know, in a silly way, it's validating. I think in a society that has a mindset of like what people should do and what families should look like. And like, you know, if you're married, where are your kids? And if you have one kid, like where are your other kids? You know, it's nice to read something like this and be like, yeah, like I don't have kids. I don't have to worry about having a psychopath child. (laughs) For me, it's definitely horrifying because as a parent, you don't want to think that your child could be capable of stuff like that. And it kind of is also in that same vein that you see a lot in domestic thrillers, like with husbands and wives, you know, can you really know someone? And also, what if your child is evil? Like, in a sense, could it be your fault? Is it like your genetics that made them evil? Like, there's just so many things that can be opened up when you start digging into evil children.
1: Looking at the books I'm going to recommend, I feel like they tend to fall into a couple categories. One is that creepy children can arise from the desperation of people to become parents and then once they become parents, there is often then a desperation to keep their children safe. And then there is this whole different vein of creepy kids stories that are often told from the perspective of reluctant parents that might consider just simply having children a nightmare in and of itself and then these children turn out to be creepy one way or another. And... I definitely think there are stories for both parents and those that are childless. So before we go any
0: further, maybe we should take the time to define what we personally think makes a child creepy rather than cute. What do you have, Rachel? What for you is total creep factor with kids? (laughs)
1: I ended up making a bit of a list because, as I mentioned, I love creepy kid stories. So first off the bat, there's something about these children that makes them not act like what we would call typical children. I often want to throw around the word unnatural (laughs) that comes up a lot in these horror stories. They can be weirdly calm, introspective, and almost act like mini adults and not have the excitement that you would normally associate with kids. They can also lack empathy and emotion, falling into the realm of sociopaths. And they can even have knowledge beyond their years, maybe being able to predict or warn about future events. Some of them can be evil, but I'm going to say not necessarily. What do you think, Steph? Did I forget anything?
0: I would say if a kid is ever described as
1: having dead eyes. It's like, freaks me out. That's such a good one. They always say that the eyes are the window to the soul and there's something about creepy kids stories where they always say something about their eyes being black or dark or just not quite human so that's a really good one to mention so i feel like creepy kids are really common when it comes to horror can you think of any movies that use the trope
0: So the movies that come to mind are Children of the Corn, which is based on a Stephen King short story. I'm thinking of Village of the Damned, The Good Son. And then a lot of things have like creepy child side characters where they're not really the protagonist. So I'm thinking of Claudia in Interview with the Vampire, kind of the Troop also. Some of them are creepy. And then also The Omen. That's a good one. That's one for like literally the Antichrist. Something you might not notice in this episode is we are not including Ira Lovins, Rosemary's baby, because the focus of the story in that story is Rosemary and her pregnancy and her growing paranoia about her pregnancy. It's not really about the baby itself. So we do have an episode that we are planning where we will have time to talk about it. But in case you were wondering why it's not included in this episode, that's why.
1: Now, when we were doing research for this episode, I came across something that I thought was super interesting about creepy kid stories. And as you might be aware, horror stories often are reflective of the real life fears of the time. So I was interested to find out that creepy kid stories had a rise in the 1970s. And if you're thinking what else was happening in that period, That was when IVF or artificial insemination practices started and so a lot of people were fearing the rise of the test tube baby and were basically worried that these babies would be born and somehow they would be unnatural or lack souls because of the way that they were conceived and I just always find it really interesting to find out how real life fears tie into our stories.
0: That is really interesting. One that doesn't fit your timeline. So it reminded me of it, but it wasn't the 70s. The movie came out in 1960. And then it was based on a book that came out in the 50s. So like, technically, it's not about that. But I can definitely see fitting with that. And I mentioned it earlier. But have you ever seen Village of the Damned? No, I haven't. So it's about this small town where it just something happens. And like everyone in the town drops not really dead. They're unconscious, but they just like you know, fall over. And then I don't know how long it lasted, like a few hours. And then when they wake up, all of the women in the town are pregnant at the same time. And so like the government starts watching them and they all give birth at the same time. And like all the children look the same. No matter what the mothers look like, they're all these evil, toe-headed, like really blonde children. And they all hang out together and can communicate with each other telepathically. And they're very cold and unempathetic it doesn't fit with the timeline that you mentioned but it just totally reminded me of that like how you as a mother could carry this child and give birth to it but you know it wasn't conceived in what we would call a natural way it's not really yours it's this like soulless being
1: i'll admit that does sound pretty creepy so yeah maybe i'll go check it out and let you know how it goes you're always adding to my list of horror movies i need to watch yeah, I would suggest the original.
0: There was a version of it that was remade in the 90s with like Kirstie Alley and was not impressed with it. So I would say check out the 1961. So what do we like about creepy children in horror and
1: why do you think these stories work? There's so much I love about creepy kids stories. One thing is that horror as a genre tends to twist and pervert aspects of everyday life, particularly Things that are natural and make them obscene so it makes sense that horror would take children that are naturally innocent and born without sin you know if you're looking from a religious perspective and can turn them into these demonic bringers of mayhem and death and then from the perspective of child psychology I understand that children under a certain age don't necessarily have the emotional development to feel empathy for others. So a lot of people joke about that little children are naturally sociopaths. And then of course, the stories often have a discussion surrounding nature versus nurture. So the idea that either children are born a certain way based off of their genetics, or they're shaped because of the way they were raised by their parents.
0: I am very familiar with this concept and it is very true, especially when they're babies like under a year old, their whole world is just getting their own needs met and they just do not have the space or capacity to understand that there are, you know, other people with needs and emotions just like them. You know, it takes a while for that to develop in a child. So yeah, for, you know, at least the first couple of months of their life, they are narcissistic sociopaths. And one of the things that's also terrifying in those books is that, you know, children usually represent the future. Just the representation or the thought that the next generation or the future that we are raising could have no soul or could be capable of evil is, you know, in its own right, terrifying and bleak.
1: And then even going to real life I do think in certain moments, children that are perfectly fine can act super creepy. I love reading Reddit posts about the topic. There are countless ones available online that are all about parents submitting little things their kids said that just sounds really creepy. One I heard on Reddit was a dad who said, I was tucking in my two-year-old son and he said, goodbye, daddy. And I said, no. We say goodnight. And he said, I know, but this time it's goodbye. I'm like, is that not the creepiest thing
0: ever? That's so creepy. That's something I would definitely be laying in bed and thinking about. Like, What did he mean? Did he know something? Do you have any creepy kid stories yourself? Some of it is nurture (laughs) so because henry likes movies about like casper and the nightmare before christmas so we'll play pretend and he's like oh look mom there's a ghost over there say hi to the ghost the ghost is waving to you but he says it pretty happily so i'm i'm gonna really really hope that we were just playing pretend and that there was not actually a ghost in my living room that was waving to me
1: okay that's pretty creepy let's hope that's not the case So, maybe we should talk about our book recommendations. I want to start by talking about Come Little Children by Dee Melhoff. This story follows a young mortician named Camilla that moves to the Yukon to work in a family-run funeral home and morgue. Soon after arriving, Camilla finds the mutilated body of a six-year-old boy in the backyard who is soaking wet, stitched up, and somehow still alive. And then she becomes entwined with this weird family when she falls in love with their son and gets pulled into their family secrets. This book immediately came to mind when we decided to talk about books with creepy children. However, it's definitely one of those books that I can't talk about exactly why the kids are creepy without spoiling or giving away too much of the story. But what I can tell you is this story is about the length that people will go to become parents and the catastrophic results of that desperation. This was Melhoff's debut novel, and I did have a few issues involving the pacing around it, but I thought his actual writing was really strong. And if you're looking for creepy kids, this is a definite go-to pick. In terms of rating, I would put this one in the fridge mostly because of the morgue setting allowed for some good body horror moments. You're literally stitching up bodies, which, you know, is always a plus for me. So again, that is Come Little Children by Dee Melhoff.
0: And the book I want to talk about is The Bad Seed. By William March, which was published in 1954. So this American classic focuses on eight-year-old Rhoda Penmark. Outwardly, she is beautiful, precocious, charming, and polite. She's a good student, loving daughter, but the children her age seem to know to stay away from Rhoda. They sense that there's just something off about her. And when one of her classmates turns up dead on a field trip after winning the penmanship award that Rhoda believed she deserved, her mother finds herself looking at her daughter in a different way. So, Rhoda is like the OG of creepy children. So, this book deals with some horrific stuff happening. But you're dealing with mostly the aftermath and the mother being confronted with the idea that her daughter is a monster. The death that I mentioned in the synopsis happens off screen. Rhoda is basically what you would consider an all-American girl. She is everything society wants her to be. She comes from a good home. Her father's a veteran. Her mother's a stay-at-home mom. Physically, she is blonde and blue-eyed. She dresses very feminine. She takes very good care of her appearance. She's very neat. She keeps her room very tidy. She's very intelligent. She's polite. So this book was very important in the discussion of nature versus nurture. And William March, you know, portrays Rhoda as really having everything perfect nurture wise. So if you read this book, there's a lot of people having discussions about nature and nurture and evil. And of course, people are, you know, having a dialogue about what was believed in the day and like, oh, those murderers, they're only raised on the streets and they come from the slums and, you know, they're raised by bad people. But, you know, we are challenging that idea with Rhoda, who is everything society says she should be and, you know, a girl. And she is coming from a place of privilege and wealth So this was just really important in terms of bringing nature into the nature versus nurture conversation. As the title would suggest, I'm sure you could deduce that this is on the nature side of nature versus nurture. So... This book is very room temperature. Like I said, it's nothing scary. It's more just bringing light to this idea of evil children and evil children, you know, coming from genetics and being born sociopaths, which was something that a lot of people hadn't considered before during that time. I would definitely suggest watching the movie in the 50s. It's in black and white. The actress that plays Rhoda is really creepy and then one of my favorites, not creepy, but the mother of the boy who was killed goes to the house and confronts Rhoda's mother and she's drunk and just her whole thing is just so crazy. If you look it up on YouTube, like a lot of people who want to be actors use that monologue to audition because it's very over the top and emotional That's like a very common monologue that people use. So I totally suggest watching the movie. Also, in the 50s, they had to rewrite the ending because it was considered too grim for the time. Like it was too bleak.
1: Really? Is that true? Yes. I could see that for the 1950s. That was probably a pretty intense story. Yeah, they're like, we can't have a story go like this. (laughs) We need to change that.
0: Yeah, so I think if you're talking about creepy children, this is just one you have to talk about. That is The Bad Seed by William March.
1: Next is one of my favorites, and that is Sour Candy by Keelan Patrick Burke. This is a novella about a man named Phil who goes to the store to buy chocolate and witnesses a boy having a terrible meltdown in the candy aisle. His mother who looks completely exhausted and beaten down, just watches him have this tantrum and does nothing. Phil, who is childless by choice, is appalled by this child and definitely judges his mother harshly. However, through some strange and supernatural circumstances, that spoiled child follows Phil home and becomes his dependent. Everyone around Phil seems to believe that he's always had a son, but Phil remembers his life differently. From there, this strange boy starts to take control of Phil's life, dragging him around on family outings while eating tons and tons of sour candy. First, I always say that I cannot eat sour candy again without thinking of this book. This is probably the creepiest kid I have ever read, and he is described as just being dressed in these old-time clothes, and he has these black, soulless eyes. Even in pictures of this boy that should have been taken years ago, he always appears to be the same age, implying that he's just never getting older, he's never really growing, but just has always been seven years old. I like that this book has some psychological aspects to it. Phil is certain that he doesn't actually have a son, but everyone else is convinced that he does. Possibly the boy has the ability to alter people's memory, or perhaps Phil is just simply going crazy. And this story really is all about Phil being a captive in his own home. So then what I like is that this story takes the idea of a spoiled child that is so out of control that they basically run their parents' life. And Burke takes that concept and then pulls it to the extreme. And I just love this one. In terms of rating, I did find it creepy, so I would put it in the fridge. And I would definitely recommend it. I think you, Stephanie, would really enjoy this one. So that is Sour Candy by Keelan Patrick Burke. Oh,
0: I'll have to pick it up. So is the moral of the story? Don't judge people's children having tantrums because you might get stuck with a kid. (laughs) So the next book I want to talk about is Your House is on Fire, Your Children Are All Gone by Stefan Kisby. So this is about the village of Hemmersmore, which is a place untouched by time and shrouded in superstition. There's a grand manor house whose occupants despise the villagers, the small pub whose regulars talk of revenants, and the old mill no one dares to mention. And this is where four young friends come of age, in an atmosphere thick with fear and suspicion. Their innocent games bring them face to face with the village's darkest secrets. So this is about four friends who are meeting up as adults in this village of Hemersmoor, which is in Germany. And they are meeting for the funeral of one of their friends. And they are reminiscing about evil stuff that they did when they were children. And each chapter is from a different one of their perspectives and kind of talking about like an evil thing that they did when they were a child. And this book was really interesting, but it definitely wasn't a favorite because all of the chapters, even though they were supposed to be from different perspectives, all sounded very similar and they all had kind of the same lack of remorse and distance. I understand that. That's not something that I dislike, but it was just I find it hard to believe that every single person involved would have that same tone in talking about those things so I think I got a little bored of it but I can see how it definitely has kind of a brother's grim type of feel with the setting and the kind of stuff that happens and a lot of them are a little kind of dark fairy tale-esque so it was really interesting I think I would have wished for a little more differentiation between the perspectives was kind of my only complaint about it but I mean it wasn't horrible it was a pretty short book and really easy to read and it has a really creepy kid on the cover. It, it looks like something out of Village of the Damned. It's like this really blonde child with like glowing eyes.
1: Oh, yes. I know the book you're talking about. I've definitely seen that cover. And it's really creepy.
0: It It is creepy. I think like what I mentioned, that was really my only complaint with it. So for me, this is a room temperature book just because everyone is so blasé about what they're talking about that there's not really emotional stakes in it they're just like yeah i did that and then that child died next chapter it's just like okay
1: (laughs) next i want to recommend the bloody best of lenore by roman dirt and this is a black comedy comic series that was inspired by a poem called lenore by edgar Allan poe this comic follows the adventures of our main character a young creepy dead girl named lenore And this series does not have an overarching plot, instead each comic is really a self-contained little story where Lenore attempts to do normal girl activities like babysitting or visiting the pet store, but the end results are always morbid and terrible. Lenore's actions typically result in death or injury to those around her, and terrible chaos always ensues. So first, I need to say this is incredibly morbid. This book is filled with so much black humor. The artwork itself is incredibly creepy. If you're looking for creepy kids, that is Lenore. She is drawn with gray skin, stringy hair, and crazy eyes. And all the drawings in the book are incredibly creepy and often quite gruesome. I would say that Dirge relies a lot on body horror and other forms of gore in his comics, so if that's not something you enjoy, this one might not be for you, but more so it depends about how you feel about very, very black humor. Because Dirge takes really classic childhood activities like hugging a small animal, but then Lenore goes to the extreme and always ends up hurting or possibly killing that small animal or that child. And... Not everyone's going to be okay with that. This could be really offensive to the wrong audience. Personally, I found this hilarious, but we all know I'm not the most sensitive reader. (laughs) But I would put this one in the fridge, which is strange because it really is meant to be humorous. I don't think you're going to be scared reading it, but I don't quite feel comfortable to call it room temperature when it's this dark. It is definitely some of the most disturbing black humor I've read and it's it's intense so that again is the bloody best of lenore by roman dirge it's one of his collections of his comic series but there are others out there so you don't necessarily need to start with that one
0: so the next book i want to talk about And one that I mentioned earlier is We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lionel Shriver. And I mentioned that I was hesitant to pick this up, but I felt like if we were talking about evil children, this was something I was going to need to read to really add something to the conversation. So even though I was very nervous about reading it, I did read this. So if you don't know the synopsis, This is told in letters that Ava is writing to her estranged husband, Franklin. She discusses life after their son has committed a mass murder at his high school. She goes back and forth in time in the letters talking about Kevin when he was a child and what may have been red flags all along. Now, I know you've read this too, right? You mentioned it.
1: Yeah. Yes, I have. And despite not being a mother myself, that was still an incredibly intense story to read. I feel like this is a good story for
0: people who you know, are childless and have children. Like it just is so impactful on both fronts. So the whole thing with Kevin is that it's a whole chicken or the egg situation where you could be led to believe that Kevin might have possibly been a psychopath since birth. Or we know that Ava was a little hesitant about becoming a mother. And when Kevin was born, she went through like postpartum depression and was always, we see, very suspicious of Kevin. Or was it that he could sense coldness from his mother? So it's just so much to think about. And, you know, when we start off in the story, Kevin has already committed the murder at his high school. Ava keeps visiting him at prison during this story. So we are in Ava's perspective. So there's a sense that Kevin has always had it out for his mother. She believes that he drove a wedge between her and her husband. Her husband, Franklin, never believed that Kevin actually meant to do any of the things that Ava blamed him for and that Even in committing this murder, Ava believes that there's a sense that he knew it was going to make his mother a social pariah, that she was going to have to basically withdraw from society and that, you know, even in her narrative, she thinks that even in this, he had it out for her. And Shriver, she doesn't do suspense in a classic way. There's things that are introduced that you know are going to come into play later. And because we're in Ava's perspective, there is just something about the way things play out. Oh, there was one scene, I was talking to you about it, where she ends a letter and she says, I don't care what you said. I remember that I took that drain cleaner out and that I put it back and I locked the cabinet. I did not leave it out. I remember doing that. And she ends the letter. And I had this pit in my stomach. I felt so sick immediately because I was thinking, oh, my God, what's going to happen with this drain cleaner? What is Kevin going to do? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I just felt so sick. And then the next letter is like, you called me from the hospital. And so, you know, because we are in Ava's point of view, we don't see things happen. So we deal with kind of the buildup and the eeriness and then the repercussions. So it doesn't quite have like a classic suspense in any way but it just it is definitely impactful like there were so many times where things like that would just be introduced and i would feel so sick and like oh no what's gonna happen i would feel this dread i found the relationship between her and her husband so frustrating because franklin was so naive and he wants to believe in this idea of this all-american son and kevin knows how to manipulate him into seeing him that way. And then Franklin starts to resent her whenever she brings anything to his attention that would go against this perfect vision he has for his son. And he, in a way, gaslights her and starts to tell her that she's crazy and that, you know, she's wanting to see things this way. And since we are in Ava's perspective, she does have love and respect for Franklin. So it's not easy to see him as like a straight up villain, but he is a frustrating character. So because this just had so many moments that made me like sick to my stomach, I would put this in the fridge. And Kevin has soulless dead eyes and just everything about him gives me the heebie-jeebies. So he is definitely up there on the pantheon of evil children for sure.
1: Yes, I remember reading that one a few years ago, and it's certainly not a fun story. It's so difficult to get through. The narrative is also really hard to get into in terms of just picking up the story to read. I know a lot of people are turned off by the very detached writing style, but it's probably done on purpose because given the subject matter, it's just very difficult to write that in an emotional way. So I probably prefer the dry storytelling method even though it was a little bit slower than some of the other books I read but definitely a memorable read one that has stuck with me even though I read it like I said several years ago
0: yeah I thought it was a great book I think it being detached helped me to get through that subject matter I think if it was like a very emotionally draining book I don't know if I would have been able to finish it but I think the detachment in the narrative helped me be able to get through the subject matter
1: Finally, I want to talk about one I've mentioned before, but fits really nicely into this episode, and that is Suffer the Children by Craig DeLuey. This is an apocalyptic horror novel where there is an illness called Herod Syndrome that breaks out, spreads around the globe, killing off all the children on Earth. However, not long after, the children begin to wake up again and reanimate from death. At first, when they return to their families, they seem pretty normal, But they begin to exhibit a thirst for human blood. And so the parents quickly learn that their children need this blood in order to survive and stay awake. Otherwise they start to become comatose. And I always say that this book is about the extremes that parents will go in order to keep their children alive. Despite the synopsis, I don't consider this to be a kid vampire story. If anything, the children have more of a zombie quality. I feel like as this book goes on, the children become more and more creepy because they slowly start to lose their memory and basically lose their humanity. And the creepiness definitely builds towards the end, which had some really good final scenes. While this book is about creepy kids, as I mentioned, it's also really about the parents, the desperation and the horrible things that parents will do in order to protect their children. I would say this one particularly is horror-ridden for parents because I think they'll connect with it more than I did, but I definitely think it's a great example if you're looking for a creepy kid's story, and it does have some very heavy-handed symbolism around it. In terms of rating, I personally felt it was room temperature. Perhaps a parent would rate it a little bit scarier, but I would still recommend it, and that is Suffer the Children by Craig DeLouis.
0: Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I might have to pick that one up soon.
1: Finally, I want to talk about some of the creepy things we're loving at the moment. And for myself, I want to pick a movie on Netflix. This is called Honeymoon, which came out in 2014. And this is a quieter horror movie about a couple that goes to a remote cabin in Canada to celebrate their honeymoon at first everything is wonderful however one night the wife wanders into the woods and things start getting strange when she returns at first she just seems distracted but soon the husband realizes that something may have gone very very wrong i want to keep the synopsis vague because it's very much the kind of horror where you're trying to figure out what's happening but i'll tell you that i really enjoyed this one First, it features the Scottish actress Rose Leslie, who plays Ingrid on Game of Thrones, and I love her as an actress. I think I have a bit of a lady crush on her, so I really enjoyed her interacting with the male lead. I thought they had really good on-screen chemistry for some very steamy, fun honeymoon scenes at the beginning. At first, this movie does feel a little bit like a romantic drama, but certainly it does move along to some creepy places. Again, I enjoyed actually the beginning with the romance. I thought that they really felt like a real couple, but at the same time, I also did enjoy when it turned creepy and I just found myself trying to guess what was going on. It was ominous. It was suspenseful. I didn't know who to trust. And I'll just say that that ending had some incredibly intense scenes of Lady Gore. And I think this movie will particularly appeal to female horror fans for this reason. I don't want to say too much about what that means, but yes lady gore and it was also the kind of movie that when i finished it i immediately wanted to go online and look up all the discussions on reddit and other sites to see what other people thought to see other people's opinions so if that sounds like the kind of movie you would enjoy i highly recommend this one i was so obsessed and that one is on netflix so i know stephanie you can definitely check it out
0: that sounds really interesting also i'm trying to figure out what in the world lady gore could mean and i don't know if i'm liking that <laughs> i'm cautiously intrigued so my thing that i found was a podcast called let's not meet and this podcast creeped me out and made me lock my doors and close my windows that's what happens whenever i listen to an episode and i am just a kind of person where i just am a sucker for these stories it'll be late at night and i can't sleep and i'll get my phone and i'll start scrolling through facebook And I'll come across a BuzzFeed listicle and it'll say like 35 real life creepy stories that you won't be able to believe. And... I want to believe that there's an alternate reality and like a parallel universe where I don't click on that link, but I don't think that's the case. Like I think in every parallel universe, I click on that article because that is just who I am. And this story is basically that, just like people talking about creepy, unnerving real life encounters that they've had. Oh my gosh. Like there was one where Someone was talking about how like when they were a teenager, they were over at their friend's house and their mom was out of town and so like their house was empty. That's why they were spending the night with their friend and they were going to call their house and like leave a prank message because they're stupid teenagers. But someone picked up the phone and was like, you shouldn't have called and just hung up. And so like they had to call the cops over there and like nothing was taken, but there was just things that were moved and just like it was so creepy. And so each of those stories ends with, you know, man who answered the phone, let's not meet. And all of these are a Reddit forum where people can submit their stories, but just like they're so eerie and creepy and like they're not supernatural So that's what makes it more freaky. I have to like double check all my windows and doors and like everything when I listen to this podcast and I cannot listen to it at work. I like do not do that to myself. So that is the Let's Not Meet podcast.
1: That sounds incredibly fun. You are so good at finding these really strange, creepy niche podcasts online. And I don't know how you do it. Just getting up at night and deciding to listen to these kind of things Sometimes I'm more of a scaredy cat than I think because I never think to do things like that. I'll, like, go and make, like, a cup of hot chocolate, so kudos for you. That's one I think you had messaged me about and I do want to check out. It sounds like a lot of fun, so I'll report back once I've had a chance to check it out for myself. But, like I said, you're so good at finding these little niche podcasts that are so creepy-sounding. Well, I mean, like, I will just read, like,
0: the BuzzFeed listicles where they say stories that are similar to that, and then my dog will, like, bark at the window, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to pre-plan when I listen to this, so I'm in a nice safe space where I can comfortably listen.
0: Just make sure it's, like, daylight, and there's people around, and all kinds of stuff. (laughs) So the podcast is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us at Twitter at Books Pod, or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. Or you can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. You can find the show notes for this episode and all other episodes at booksinthefreezer.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Patreon at Books in the Freezer. And we want to take this time to say a thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Emily, PT, Alicia, and Roger. I am Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lady underscore Ganya or on YouTube at That's What She Read.
1: And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at shades underscore orange or on YouTube and Instagram at the shades of orange. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.